show before the show podcast in 2017 from MILB.com. We just recorded and opened a second ago, and I left in 2017 until the end, so it just sounded like we were ending the podcast, so I wanted to make sure that we didn't mislead you. It's just the last one of this year, people. Calm down. It's going to be fine. Yeah, that would that would uh, be one heck of an announcement. It's all fine. Right yeah, just top. drop it on people. Nope, I feel like it. we would Sorry. be a lot more somber. Too. Yeah, that's true. We wouldn't be quite as, uh, quite as fired up, quite as bubbly, as they yeah. say. Um, yeah, no, it's just, uh, just the last one of the year. Calm down. Everything's fine. All you crazies. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's here. I'm Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is in New York city. Hello, Sam. Hello, Tyler. Ha- have you been able to see star Wars yet? I have not. Star Wars podcast? I have not. Um, uh, how was it? How was it? I th- I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, there might be a lot of people now who are throwing their phones or listening devices down on the ground because yeah, i know a lot be... of people did not like it oh i thought you were gonna give spoilers no I no I, although the part with ray that was really good no i'm not gonna do that uh... Uh, yeah no i really really enjoyed it and i want to talk to as many people as i can about it so if people want to have conversations my dms are open uh i've already had one particular discussion with a friend of mine who is a pilot who tries to say lots of things that happen in star wars couldn't happen in real life, which no way. Up. Yeah, you mean Wookies yeah. and things don't exist? What? Yeah. Uh, Since when? his last text to me was before I let you go, and this isn't a spoiler. Before I let you go, I just want you to think: How do bombs drop in space? And I was just like, I don't, you lost me at that point. Well, although I, guess I found true. out the answer, the Star Wars book actually has answers on this. They have magnets. Wow. So science. That's how. Would magnetism even work like that? What? Would magnetism even work like that? I mean, do any of us really know how <laughs> magnets work? No. no it's all a mystery. But it's science. That's all you need to know, Tyler. It's just science. Okay. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Man, we really did make it a Star Wars podcast for like 90 seconds. <laughs> it really was. Um, no, I'm sure there are actually a ton of Star Wars podcasts you could probably just go find right now. But don't do it. Don't yeah. turn ours off because ours is really good. I promise. I swear this will be a reprieve. Yeah, exactly. You won't have to deal with listening to the nerds for a while. Hey. <laughs> um just kidding sam um so hey with that welcome inside the uh the latest edition of the show before the show um coming up we got uh some good stuff on the show we think hopefully um no it is uh our final live recorded episode of 2017 but we are going to hear from uh brandon gomes who sam caught up with at the winter meetings last week so that'll be good yes Yes. Tell us a little he, bit about uh, he, talking with Brandon Gomes. Yeah, he uh, took over for Gabe Kapler as the director of player development with the L.A. Dodgers. Gabe Kapler, uh, now the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. Exactly. Friend of Josh um, Jackson. So, friend of Josh Jackson, yeah. Uh, some of you might know Brandon Gomes. He was five years. He spent five years in the majors with the uh, Rays. Uh, actually was pitching in baseball as late as 2016. Got a job with the Dodgers in, pitch, in player development last year. Uh, specifically in pitching, Gabe Kapler leaves, Brandon Gomes moves in. We get to talk a little bit about that, what it's like to take over for Gabe Kapler, who I think was perhaps the most unique director of player development that I knew, um, and, and what it's like to work with this particular crop of Dodgers prospects and what he has to do to get used to the job, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, we'll be getting to that in our uh, second segment today. 
Yeah, going to be all kinds of fun. Before we dive into three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show, thanks for tuning in wherever you found us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Uh, those are one and the same. But we used to say iTunes. I think it's officially known as Apple Podcasts, so there, whatever. Um, Google Play, the Stitcher app, wherever else you found us. Thanks for tuning in. And we're at MILB.com slash podcast if you want to go catch up on old episodes and all that good stuff. You can also get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com and give us a rating and a review and a subscription if you would be so kind and if it is five stars and five stars only and uh with that we'll get started on strike one some big news from today we're recording this on wednesday december 20th and that news is from one sam dykstra at milb.com quote the Rays shipped away a big part of their past Wednesday and the hope it'll lead to an even brighter future. Tampa dealt all-star third baseman Evan Longoria to the San Francisco Giants for number 57 overall prospect Christian Arroyo, left-handed pitching prospect Matt Crook, right-handed pitching prospect Stephen Woods, and major league outfielder Denard Spann, the club's confirmed Wednesday afternoon. The Rays are also sending cash considerations to balance the deal. Pretty big deal here. This gives Tampa Bay seven top 100 prospects now in the end-of-year 2017 prospect rankings and it also gives the Rays a pretty formidable duo on the left side of the infield with presumably, you would think, Christian Royal moving to third base where he got a lot of starts in the big leagues last year to play alongside Willie Adamas, who has for a long time been the top prospect or one of the top prospects in that system. He would be at shortstop. Um, but this is a, a pretty big deal. It almost feels like a bigger deal for Tampa Bay than it does for San Francisco. I think five years ago, you would have thought, man, Evan Longoria gets traded. That's huge. This feels a lot more like the Rays building for the future than the Giants reloading for 2018. Yeah, I mean, a big part of that is that the the Rays are obviously cutting salary here. Right. Uh, Longoria has, I think, $81 million left uh, through two, 2022. Uh, so five seasons left on that deal. Then there's another option for 2023. Uh, the Rays, as we always know, are notorious penny pinchers. Uh, but by getting Christian Arroyo back in this deal – uh, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I think, when we were previewing the winter meetings, like this is the deal that typically would have happened. The winter meetings didn't happen then. It, we ended up having to wait a week for it. But, um, it, you know, this race system already seems like it's going to graduate a bunch of guys in 2018 anyways. Brent Honeywell, you know, is definitely going to be in Tampa Bay at some point. Uh, Willie Adamas is definitely going to be there in the spring if or, you know, the summer, if not earlier in the spring. Jake Bowers is right on that cusp. Jose De Leon needs to get healthy, but uh, he already has major league experience. Brendan McKay, going to be a two-way player, but you know was arguably the best college baseball player in the NCAA last year. He could move quickly. You add in Christian Arroyo, who already has major league experience, like De Leon, uh, already has torn through AAA. You know, wasn't pushed aggressively because they ne needed him there. He was doing really, really well in the PCL before getting called up last year. And this core just adds another key piece. Uh, you mentioned he could potentially move over to the left side. You know, Tampa Bay has a big hole at third base now that they're going to need to fill. And Longoria, you could always count on him playing 150-plus games. They're going to have to fill those games somehow. Um, I'm sure they're going to try to get Arroyo as many positions as they can, probably mixing him at shortstop. Maybe they do a situation with, him and Adamas, like the Braves did a couple years ago with Dansby Swanson and Ozzy Albies, where they switch off until one really takes the the, the the position at short. 
everything I read, everything I've seen, Adamas is definitely a better defensive shortstop, and he could uh, work well there. Arroyo's bat could also work really well at third base. He's got a plus hit tool. He's a career 300 hitter exactly in the minor leagues. Uh, I mentioned before his AAA numbers. He hit 396, 461, 604 uh, in 25 games last year with Sacramento. You know, that's a PCL. It's an offensive environment. It's kind of a small sample. He's not going to, you know, have a OPS over 1,000 everywhere he goes. He, he doesn't have great power, but he fits the bill of just being a very solid hitter. Could easily be a 300, 310 hitter, even in the major leagues. Uh, and now the, the, the Rays have him under control for multiple years at, you know, the major league minimum for a couple of years until arbitration. Uh, plug him into that lineup. He's not going to be—he's not going to be replacing Longoria's power necessarily, but he could uh, reproduce his overall production. Longoria was a league average hitter last year. He was a really good defender. He won a Gold Glove, but he had a 100 OPS plus, which is exactly league average. Uh, Arroyo's ceiling is certainly higher than that. So, you know, this—this this is a move for the Rays if you decide you're really not going to contend this year. Get something for Longoria while you can. Um, maybe he doesn't age as well this year. The Giants are really going for it. You know they don't want last year to happen again. They really need to fill that spot at third base with somebody that they know for sure is going to be a solid, per- a solid piece. Longoria fits that bill. Arroyo could have a higher c- ceiling over the next few years. I'm not saying he's going to be better than Longoria over their careers, but you know over the next few years of team control. So uh, this really works for all involved in ways that I think some trades that have also happened this offseason looked much more one-sided. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a fair assessment. It's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, Christian Arroyo had such a a step back in 2017 and not because of – performance i mean he started tearing the cover off the ball in sacramento and then the injuries the promotion the big leagues and all that kind of stuff it'll be interesting to see if he has a bounce back year um in 2018 and uh yeah the rays pulled in a pretty big haul for this what is very interesting to me about it is that the giants don't seem to believe that they are in need of any type of rebuild but rather just retooling at the major league level which is what they tried for 2017 and did not work out spectacularly did not work out so um i'll be i'll be very interested to see at the major league level how that happens uh to affect the next three four five years for the giants because that was already a thin system now it's an extremely thin system yeah for sure um, you know, only having to give up Arroyo is pretty good, I guess. If you're going to get a three-time All-Star, you know, Tyler Beattie's still around. Chris Shaw is still around. Uh, Ramos is still around. So they have some core pieces, but the fact that the foundation of that uh, system was not very good to begin with, uh, losing any key piece is not, you know, is certainly going to hurt hurt them and the way we think about their farm system in 2018. And I bet they're probably not done. Um, you know, they're not going to pull off a similar trade maybe, but if they're continuing to retool, they're going to be trying to sign free agents. I know Jay Bruce's name is being thrown around. He might be signed by the time this podcast goes live, even the way rumors are going. Um, some other trades could be in the offing, you know, spinning somebody like BD or Shaw off for something big. I would really hope they hold on to Ramos because he's the guy who I think has the best case to be a top 100 prospect right now um, and has the fewer question marks, even though he is so far away, uh, that Beattie and Shaw have. But 
um, yeah, I mean, the Giants, they, they want to be contenders year in and year out. And this is a move a, an attempted contender makes. Strike two this week, Sam. The Rule 5 draft last week, last Thursday, at the baseball winter meetings in Orlando. And of the guys taken in that draft, um, 18 players headed to new organization. Sam had a tool shed column up uh, last week as to how likely it is that these players are going to stick on their new rosters, um, which means they have to stay at the major league level in the 2018 season for the entirety of the 2018 season. And of these players that were taken, few of them are guarantees or even close to guarantees for being there. But what stands out to you most about these guys who, uh, who traded uniforms in, uh, in the rule five draft? Um, yeah, some of them were legit surprising. Um, some of them were very much not uh, the two guys who I think have the best chances of sticking for a full year are Nick Birdie, who's going from the Twins to the Pirates, and uh, Birch Smith, who's going from the Rays to the Royals. Uh, Birch Smith, you know, really showed up r- well this year in the AFL. He was hitting triple digits at times. Um, he struck out 29 batters in 20 and a third innings. Um, you know, some of you might know him as a former Padres prospect. He actually missed all of 2015 and 2016 during due to Tommy John surgery. Uh, Rays signed him, brought him up kind of slowly this year, uh, gave him some time in the AFL, decided to not protect him. They had a little bit of a roster crunch. Guys like Honeywell, Adamus, Bowers, uh, they all had to be added uh, right about now. So that somebody like Smith kind of falls off. Uh, so the Royals come in and swoop, and, and uh, we've talked about this before on the podcast and elsewhere. You know, this is going to be a real interesting season for the Royals, how they're going to try to rebound from potentially losing Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, Lorenzo Cain, on and on and on. So they'll definitely have roster space. And getting a guy who can throw 100, uh, they're going to give him as many chances as they can uh, to kind of crack that roster. And, and he has the stuff to do it. I mean, this isn't just just a major league situation. This is also his own talent. Uh, the other guy was Nick Birdie, who – also is, is coming back from Tommy John, much more immediate. Uh, he got it around late May last year. So he won't be available for the start of the season, which actually kind of helps his case. You know, the, the Pirates can kind of bring him back slowly. They're going to send him on rehab assignments. They're going to give him as much rehab as they can uh, in the minor leagues. In order for him to stick, he technically, he can be, you know, on the 60-day DL and then the 15-day DL, uh, or or the, the shorter DL, excuse me, um, as long as he needs to be. But in order to stick with the Pirates, he has to be on the active roster for 90 days. So that could even go could go into 2019 um, if that 90 days is not – if they don't technically option him, they don't technically offer him back or try to send him to the minors. Uh, if he still doesn't accrue that 90 days this year, that goes into 2019 before he could potentially be sent back to the Twins. Um, but because of the injury situation, again, because the Pirates are in a kind of precarious situation in which they're going to need all arms on deck, all the talent that they can potentially get, uh, I think that's going to work out really well for them. They're going to get a nice long look at him. Um, I think he might have been the best prospect in this Rule 5 draft uh, before the injury. Now, that throws in a lot of things. That as much as we want to say it's easy to come back from Tommy John these days, it's not always. Um, it's, it's not an exact science by any means. It's certainly better than it used to be, but, uh, he'll have to answer a few questions when he gets back. But 
again, mix that all up in that cocktail. I think that works out really well for both the player and the team. Uh, and the one that I thought was, I think, the most interesting pick of the bunch was a guy we actually tried to get on the podcast a couple weeks ago, didn't end up working out, uh, and now it, it's even more fascinating. So maybe I'll try to get him at another point. But <clears throat> Anthony Ghost was signed by the Rangers on a minor league deal to be potentially two-way player. That was the news that came out uh, when he signed. He spent this past season at Class A Advanced Lakeland in the Tiger system becoming a pitcher. Uh, the reports are that he's got good velocity coming off the left side. Uh, his slider gets good grades as well. Um, struggled a little bit, but as one would expect for a former outfielder making its first trip to the mound as a professional um, so the Rangers sign him. They want to play him both ways. You know, he's super fast, super athletic, not a great hitter. That's what's held him back in the past. Um, but, you know, get him a couple innings in the outfield, see how that works. Let him catch some balls, let him be a pinch runner, all that kind of stuff. Would have been super interesting to see how that works out. Flash forward to the Astros, who were in that group of teams that I didn't think were going to make a Rule 5 pick. Uh, you know, they're going to be contending. They want all the roster space they can get. Why waste it on a guy who's going to be an experiment? Why waste it on somebody who, you know, you're going to lose if you send down, all that kind of stuff. But here the Astros come. They take Anthony Ghost with a 15th pick, and they announce that he's going to be a left-handed pitcher. Uh, everything they said afterwards, like, you know, they like the velocity. They like the breaking stuff. They really see something here. It's kind of, on their end, a low uh, investment here. They give... The Rangers, $100,000. If they don't like them, they get $50,000 back. Um, it's just a $50,000 look. But the fact that it's the Astros, the defending World Series champions, taking a chance on a guy who has never pitched above Class A advance to begin with and had never really pitched in the minors before that anyway uh, is fascinating. But obviously, again, Astros, World Series champs, they know what they're doing. I'm mean, really interested to see just how long he lasts. I don't think he's even going to come close to breaking camp, but how many spring training outings do they give him? Or are they just going to look him in, look at him in bullpen sessions? Uh, I would say he probably doesn't make it to late March, but it, anything beyond that would be uh, a great sign for him and, and what people believe he can be as a pitcher. Go check out that story from Sam, the toolshed column at MILB.com from last week. And uh, final thing this week, Sam, it is our final live podcast of 2017. Um, so what has this year in the minor leagues taught us about baseball and things otherwise? Uh, yeah, it's. I, I don't know. There's so many things that go through the mind of like where we are and um, – you know, what, what the sport means. I, I The thing I always come back to about this year, I think that I'm going to remember more than anything, is just uh, the belief that teenagers can do really, really well. Um, you know, the sport has gotten to the point where, you know, we thought like, oh, you're going to need to grow into things. There are going to be things you've seen in minor league baseball that you've never seen before, pitches you've never seen before. And we always kind of doubt young players that they're going to do well, even at the lower levels right away. You know, there's going to be a comfort. And then you got, you know, Vlad Guerrero and Bo Bichette tearing things up in Lansing together. You got Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, doing basically everything for Fort Wayne and then 
getting the bump up to double A and doing especially well there. Yeah, Forrest Whitley, who climbed three levels in the Astro system uh, in his age 19 season. When I, I kind of look back at this year, I think that's what I'm going to take away is don't doubt some of these guys early. If they have the skills, they will show them off as quickly as they can. And uh, I, I don't think teams are going to be afraid to push them either. Uh, even with the starts Vlad and Bo had, I didn't expect Toronto to bump them up to Dunedin by the halfway mark. They did, and they continued to take off. Um, so that it's just going to be a change based on 2017 of how I kind of view some of these stars uh, going forward. Um, whether that's going to happen again in 2018, I don't know. You know, I, I don't think there is somebody like a Vlad Guerrero Jr. ready to pop off again this year. Ronald Acuna obviously fits in there. I'm sorry, I didn't. Everybody knows my love of Ronald Acuna. I couldn't go past uh, too far without mentioning him in his age 19 season. Um, so, you know, we've had this before. We had the year of the prospects a couple of years ago thinking like, oh, well, teams are going to aggressively push prospects now because they've shown that they can handle the majors. Uh, and it's things have kind of regressed back to the mean. That obviously wasn't a theme that stuck on very well. So maybe this might just be something about this group of 18, 19, 20-year-olds uh, that is truly special. Uh, we won't know until, you know, the dust settles in maybe five, ten years. But uh, out, of, out of 2017, I'm just going to take away that this was a special group of young players. Uh, and now we have to learn more about both about them and how – Young players are treated in the minors going forward. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a good takeaway. I think um, the overarching message in in 2017 to me is that building from within is still the way to make it work in the modern day era of major league baseball. Even when you look at the Los Angeles Dodgers, a team that made it to the world series and had a tremendous amount of success. The biggest contributors on that team were still homegrown guys, Corey Seager and Cody Bellinger and the like. Um, even Yasiel Puig, you can make a, a case that he's a, a homegrown guy, even though he came over sort of as a professional when he got here, but still had his time in the system came up that way. Um, but that team didn't even win the World Series. They had big money acquisitions and a lot more of that kind of old school component to, and by old school, I mean like early 2000s component to making your way to the World Series. But the Houston Astros, a team that four, five, six years ago was a laughing stock because of what they were trying to put in place. It all came to fruition. It all came together the exact way the Astros had planned with their homegrown guys carrying the load. Yes, they acquired Justin Verlander, but the vast majority of what contributed to the Astros getting over the hump is what they've been trying to build over the last several years in that system. So to me, that is the thing that stands out most is what we've been watching in these organizations over the last decade plus for, you know, the mid to smaller market teams making it to the major leagues uh, or making it to the World Series at the major league level with guys once they graduate them to the major leagues from their player development systems. That's still what is working with the best rate of return, it seems like these days. Yeah. And even when you mentioned the fact that they got Verlander, they still had to trade right. homegrown talent to do that. Right. I mean, they turned... Daz Cameron, who, you know, it, the shine had certainly come off him in the last couple of years, but still they turned him, Franklin Perez, and another player into Justin Verlander, who's a big, you know, you have to have a good system in order to trade for somebody of Justin Verlander's uh, status, I guess, pedigree, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that, that's just another point to the system of this is what happens when you make a good, deep system. You can either promote players or you turn them into other superstars. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, 
it's a fun era to watch uh, across the major leagues and the minor leagues, and uh, we learned a lot in 2017. Those are some of the things that stand out to both me and Sam. Coming up, Sam got a chance to catch up with Brandon Gomes of the baseball winter meetings in 2017 last week in Orlando and talk about his new role with the Los Angeles Dodgers and more. That's next on this week's edition of the show before the show. First off, new job for you, new role. Um, what are you looking forward to about that, and how did that conversation kind of go once Gabe Kapler left to, to get you where you are now? Um, once you know Gabe left, it was kind of I was asked if I would be interested in, in interviewing for the position. Um, I said yes. I definitely have interest in <laughs> expanding uh, expanding my role, and that's kind of like from that point on, we just hit the ground running with the interview process. Um, the, just looking forward to kind of getting outside of just the pitching realm and really starting to dig in with uh, our hitting department and um, learn the hitters and get more uh, familiar with the hitters. I, I've seen a lot of them, right? all of them play, just like really digging in like I was on the pitching side. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be uh, fun and valuable to like continue to understand like how those guys work and some of the different dynamics that we can help them develop to, to impact the big leagues. Mm-hmm. And just so I get your, what your title was officially before, it was like director pitcher performance? I was pitching coordinator. Pitching coordinator performance. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. And that all obviously involves a lot of analytics and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So how do you plan on translating that from the pitchers to the hitters? Well, I mean, I think it's a similar concept when we're talking about like on the pitching side of things, we're talking about controlling the zone, pounding the zone. On the, on the hitter side of things, you know, continuing to keep that a focus of, like, we have to understand, like, where we do damage, um, how to impact the baseball in the strike zone, trying to get guys to chase less, and then <clears throat> leaning on the our, our hitting department and um, our coaches to obviously te- teach through mechanical um, cues and different approach type things that that'll help the guys fine-tune their skills mm-hmm. and what are you looking forward to most about learning about the job or learning about you know covering a system this big going from just one role to kind of something more general I mean I just think any every day is, is a learning opportunity and just the ability to uh, be able to uh, grow in so many different areas like in the hitting side in you know uh, the, so getting more introduction to the front office side of things, the different business sides uh, that go on that come along with the farm director role. So just kind of having the opportunity to constantly uh, grow and learn different areas of the game uh, is just like really exciting on my part of things instead of just just the pitching side. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you talked about this a little bit, but in terms of transitioning from a player to a front office role, what is that like in your head when you are a player and what is that conversation like in terms of, you know, am I ready to move into this realm and what do I think I can carry from, you know, X to Y? I think one of the, the biggest things uh, looking back after this year is that being that close to the game is certainly helpful to be able to talk with the players on, on what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have, your, you have a good idea of, like, what, what's going on day to day, but then I think it's also um, helpful to just be able to connect with them and... Um, you know, hey, like this, these are the things that we believe can help you. Mm-hmm. Um, getting some of the information to them instead of just having it and not being able to relay it, it kind of gets them, uh, gets our players into a little more of a buy-in mode and you know wanting to seek some of the information that may allow them to take the next step. Mm-hmm. 
does that make the transition any easier for you still being in the game this quickly? I know retiring is like one of the most difficult things anybody can do. Yeah, uh, surprisingly enough, I, I when I was done playing, I got released midway through the uh, season in 2016. Right. Like there was a couple week period where I was trying to get a job, uh, another AAA job, mm -hmm. and when that didn't come about, like I was actually okay with it. <laughs> I had, um, you know, I, I know I had done everything in my career to to max out my abilities and right. it was time to, to move on. I didn't believe I was a major league caliber player anymore. Mm -hmm. So it made it a lot easier to transition and start using um, some of the lessons that I learned while I was playing and uh, use them on the player development side and hopefully um, relay those down to, to the younger generation. Mm -hmm. And obviously you came up with the Rays, you were a major leaguer with the Rays. How much of that transitions over to what the Dodgers are doing? Obviously Friedman at the top, same guy at the top, but um, what do you see what, what, when you were coming up as a player versus what the Dodgers are implementing now? So I, I was drafted by the Padres. Right. I came up with the Padres and then traded to the Rays. Right. And you're seeing um, more and more of, the, I think it's just the, the information being transferred from, from front office down to the players, giving them uh, access and, and teaching them of, about what is actually going on. I feel like it, it, in the past... It was probably more of an evaluation type uh, component where now we're using it as an evaluation and a, uh, a way to better the player and keep them um, informed on like what we're looking for, what is uh, valued at the major league level. Where at times in the, in the past when I was, I mean this is like early lower levels, that there was no, uh, there's a disconnect behind uh, what was being valued and what was um, what the players knew. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the strength of the farm system right now, obviously the major league club, you know, being one hour or one game away from World Series, but the farm system's equally as strong as it's been in years. Um, you know, how does this kind of compare to some of the systems you've been in or systems you've seen from afar? I mean, it's pretty impressive. I, our depth is something that is um, is incredibly strong. Uh, I think a lot of our um, our pitchers would be top prospects in a lot of other organizations that may yeah, not sure. be. Um, quite in our top 20, say. So I think like we're very fortunate in that way. We have incredible scouting, incredible coaches, um, and you know, using the analytics team and the R&D team to, to kind of build these guys, build these guys, and let them uh, grow through the system. It's just like the the amount of players that like, we're very spoiled. We're able to make trades at the deadline and still keep a, a very strong farm system. So it's. Um, I'm in a very fortunate position, and all of us are in PD to get to work with um, these players on a daily basis. And just to hit on a couple of them, uh, you know, Alvarez had a kind of rough year in terms of control, but it, stuff is as electric as you're going to find. What does he need to do to kind of iron that out and kind of find the zone with more regularity? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, with with Yadi, obviously the the arm is electric. Um, it's just, he, I think we need to always uh, remember that he's still very young. I mean, this, he'd be a, a college junior um, who throws 100. We're talking about right. a guy that's probably 1-1 one, one in the draft. So being patient with him, um, getting his, uh, his tempo and his delivery going, um, just kind of letting him mature into his body. He's still not um, fully grown yet. So there could be some... Uh, growing pain issues there where he's just learning how to, to move more efficiently. Mm -hmm. I think just keep um, supporting Yadi with with those initiatives. Um, he's going to be great. Like we, we saw it last year, mid to upper 90s, you know, 90 mile an hour slider. So keep, um, you know, working with the changeup now to add 
another pitch along with this curveball. He's, he's really had his chance to be like top end impact uh, pitcher. And what was the biggest growth you did see out of him last year? Uh, once he got to double A, you could just see him adjust as the year went on. And uh, you could see him, he got into breaking down hitters and really uh, starting to understand where the holes were in the hitters. Mm -hmm. So now it's just the point of he, he got that component. It's just like going out there and matching up how to attack guys with that. So it was, it was fun to watch. Mm -hmm. And with Walker Bueller, obviously a little bit more advanced with stuff, just mm -hmm. as electric. Um, limited outings just because, or limited innings just because of the injury coming off Tommy John. Have you guys talked about a plan for him this year and how that's going to kind of work out for him? Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of that's going to be dictated by our, our big league need, but I think we all see Walker as a front end starter as well with, I mean, four plus pitches. Um, special kind of competitor, incredible work ethic. So it's just, it's uh, putting you know, the from, fine, from Houston. the final touches and fine tuning his game to keep understanding the the advanced approaches that he needs to take when he's in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. And if he were to go back to OKC as a starter, what kind of inning would the inning limit be off? Would he be able to go into the fifth and sixth more often? Yes, I mean that's the the idea. Not he's he's far enough out of um, his Tommy John that will you know will be very mindful of his workload always. But once. Um, you know, once we feel like he's fully built up, like he's going to go out there. We, we need him and want him to learn how to pitch into seventh, eighth, and ninth innings um, like, he, like he'll do in the big leagues and in high leverage situations. And a guy I'm sure you haven't worked directly with enough yet, but just in terms of this was his first year, was Jaron Kendall. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, athletic as anybody's you're going to find, but the strikeouts are an issue. What is the kind of goal with him going into his first full year? When we saw him, like, he kind of you know got his feet wet in – uh, in Ogden and then with Great Lakes a little bit last year and his his strides that he took in instructionally like watching his games he was very often the most dynamic player on the field um, tools like you wouldn't believe and you really watched him uh, starting to impact the baseball making quality decisions uh, strikeouts went way down we're really excited about um, what he's going to bring to the table next year mm -hmm. and what allowed those strikeouts to go down uh, just some a few mechanical cues, and Jaron just getting used to, um, just kind of getting used to pro ball and, and the routine. There's always an adjustment period there, um, from college to pro ball. So kind of getting in to his his rhythm and finding his swing a little bit, um, and the communication with our hitting coaches uh, really helped him. And it was we're, we're excited. He, he was fun to watch. Yeah, but, and uh, just to leave you on this one, you know. What advice did Gabe give you for this role before he left? I know you said he, he talked to you about applying and all that kind of stuff, but what did he say about this particular system and this particular role with you fulfilling it going forward? Yeah, nothing like in particular, just Gabe, you know, he, he, we've spoken and said, you know, use me as a resource as needed and, you know, just keep focusing on like the development of the people. And like you can impact a lot of lives in this role and it's, mm -hmm. it's really a, a special opportunity for us and it shouldn't be taken lightly. And actually this one just popped my head. In terms of who you got to work with last year and you could see strides and who are you most excited, at least pitching wise, to see make a jump next year? Yeah, well Yachty would be one of them. Right. Um, just what he's capable of doing as soon as he kind of grows into his body and, and everything clicks, it's gonna be next level type stuff. Uh, Dennis Santana was incredible. Uh, watching him grow from instructional league in 16 to, to how he threw last year. Um, Caleb Ferguson was excellent. Uh, Dustin May, who started in um, 
we started in Great Lakes and finished uh, incredibly well in Rancho. Uh, we saw the Velo tick up, Power Sinker, Big Time Slider. Uh, there's, some, there's some guys in there that really have uh, opportunity to be special. Well, uh, both Sam and Ben back from the uh, warm confines of the 2017 baseball winter meetings in Orlando, Florida. Benjamin Hill joins the show now. How was it, Ben? It was good. You know, warm confines is an interesting choice of words. Yeah, I guess anywhere could be warm confines if you have heat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. True. I mean, okay, we were the within warm the warm outdoor setting. Was it that warm okay. there? I don't know. I didn't check the weather. No, it wasn't even that warm oh, either. Okay. Never mind. Not until the day we left when it was like 72 degrees. Yeah. That's always nice. Yeah, do you, do you want to do your intro again? Um, okay, three, two, one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 we'll leave it in. We'll leave it in. Um, hey, Ben. Hey, Tyler. So hey, last Sam. we last we talked to you, you were getting set uh, the day after we recorded for the Winter Meetings trade show. You were going to do a Facebook Live from there with Twitter list Danny Wild. Um, how, how did it go? What were some of the highlights of the trade show this year? It was good. Um, you know, the trade show is an integral part of the winter meetings experience, as anyone who's attended the winter meetings knows. And, uh, you know, I've been attending the winter meetings for quite some time. This is my 11th winter meetings, uh, ninth in a official full time capacity. And uh, I got to admit that the trade show sort of tortures me a little bit each year because, you know, you want to acknowledge it. You want to cover it in some way. But like how to do that in a new way, you know, and then uh, we hit on this Facebook live idea, which I think was a lot of fun. You can check out a post on my blog, uh, which contains a YouTube version of the Facebook Live video. And it's just a stroll through the trade show. And you get, a one, a sense of how big it is. And uh, two, you know, just what the variety of baseball products uh, are on offer. So if you watch that video, uh, you can check everything from uh, dugout mugs, which are mugs made from, like, the hollowed out uh, ends of baseball bats. Uh, You can see... Bush's baked beans and Ray's uh, Uncle Ray's potato chips, which are sponsors of Miley Baseball, who had booths there and were uh, giving free food, which everyone loves. Um, you can see some uh, championship rings for various price levels. You can just see a uh, a whole lot of things, including uh, Gary Perone, a uh, you know with the Brooklyn Cyclones, an executive with the Brooklyn Cyclones, doing an on-the-spot, peer-pressured version of uh, Frank Sinatra's My Way. Um, you also see the New Era store or the New Era booth, uh, all the caps they had on display. You'll get a rundown of uh, theme jerseys and uh, and new cooling towels offered by OT, OT Sports. You know they do a lot of theme jerseys, but now they have team logo cooling towels, which I got to wear as a do rag. Uh, and uh, on and on and on and on it went. So please check that out on Ben's Biz Blog, Ben'sBiz.mlblogs.com, Twitter at Ben's Biz. I am Benjamin Hill. We're not done. Thank you. <laughs> so when you were walking around, like the do rags you mentioned were kind of new, and like the there was the Bush's dog, Duke. Yeah, Duke, Duke was only there for the opening night of the trade show. Okay. He didn't stick around for all three days. Uh, Duke is was a gigantic celebrity. I mean, I don't want to say he's just a dog. I don't want to demean him or dogs in general, but the way people were going nuts, I was kind of like, guys, you realize it's like just a dog, right? He's not like an alien dog. His fur is not made of gold. It's but just he's a, a dog. dog from the TV. Yeah, he's great. He's a celebrity dog. He's super, <laughs> uh, very well behaved. Super well behaved. Very cute. Also a little regal in his bearing. I'm not knocking Duke whatsoever, but uh, the extent to which people love that dog uh, amazes me because I would only love a dog that much if it was, as I mentioned before, an alien and offering a half dog, half alien hybrid. 
that was offering something uh, completely new to my life experiences. Well, I only bring him up because I don't think he's been there before. Was there anything new you saw this year in your walking around, either in the Facebook Live or just otherwise on your other trips down there? I mean, I'm sure there were you know, first-time vendors. Um, you know, some of the stuff I mentioned previously were things I hadn't seen before, even like, you know, dugout mugs, uh, you know, products like that. But uh, big picture, I did not see anything new that had me walk away saying like, oh, we're going to see that at stadiums this year. You know, some years that happens, some years it doesn't. An example I really remember from the winter meetings uh, trade show maybe five or six years ago, as simple a thing as it is. But the um, racing ponies, you know, the inflatable racing ponies that became oh, yeah. a between inning staples. I remember seeing them at the at the uh, trade show one year and they were getting a lot of interest from teams and thinking to myself, we're going to see a lot of these uh, between inning bouncy pony races coming up. And lo and behold, we did. And if you're a minor league baseball fan, you've probably seen those. You know, usually it's adults on them straddling these bouncy, uh, you know, pony race ponies and making fools of themselves as they uh, race between innings. These are the kind of things. And it's fun. That's the funny thing about the trade show is you go to a minor league game of any, or a professional game of any kind, baseball game. And uh, you don't really look around and think about all the different unique goods and services that are needed to make that operation happen. But when you're in the trade show and you look around, it's just kind of like, huh? Like, of course you do have to get that giant inflatable Jersey from somewhere you, know, you do have to get the, you know, the bounce house stuff in general from somewhere. You do, you know, have to uh, maybe talk to architects who are working on renovations and they're trying to sell you what they could do for your ballpark, uh, you know, theme jerseys and um, bobbleheads and ordering promotions for the next year. I mean, there's who knows how much money being spent at that trade show throughout the entire industry uh, for things that are going to be implemented for the 2018 season. Well, let's move on, Ben, to another post on the blog, which is a guest post from a Washington, D.C. area high school student who has previously written guest posts for uh, Ben's Biz. And it's kind of about um, the identities of certain minor league baseball teams, parent club versus unique identities. And it, in, it uh, includes the term Goldilocks zone, which refers to, quote, a perfect middle ground where it shows its association with its parent club while retaining the spirit of the town from which it hails. Kind of a cool post. Yeah, Jay Kennedy, shout out to Jay, who, uh, along with his mom and dad, just about half an hour before we are taping this here on uh, Wednesday, um, him and his family, he's from the D.C. area, but they are on vacation in New York City. And uh, Jay and uh, his mom and dad actually came up to our offices here in the Chelsea market, and uh, Jay got to hit publish on the post and make it go live uh, for all the world to see. Uh, so Jay's, you know, he's, he just turned 16 years old. Uh, he's written for the blog before, as I said. And uh, this time around, you know, he's strongly advocating for teams to have unique identities uh, within the aforementioned Goldilocks zone, meaning, you know, elements of the parent club, but something unique that can tie into the minor league team itself. Uh, I know team names and logos are one of the most, uh, you know, well-read and highly debated topics uh, within my uh, sphere. And, uh, you know, Jay has opinions. Check out his post. Get in touch with him. Uh, or leave a comment or whatever you want to do to keep the discussion going. And uh, shout out to Jay for being an ambitious, uh, you know, high school age writer uh, who got in touch with me. And now he's a semi-regular contributor to the blog. And I try to cultivate that sort of spirit with the blog, uh, accept guest posts whenever I can. I try to be accessible with that. So get in touch. Uh, I reply to almost everybody except Tyler. What are your Obviously. thoughts on, on the, yeah. the Goldilocks zone? I think it's a good way to put it. I'd never heard of the uh, the phrase Goldilocks zone before, but uh, I think that is a good way uh, to say, you know, the perfect middle ground. 
um, you know, showing association with the parent club while retaining the spirit of the town from which it hails, as Tyler said, and this is which Jay wrote. So uh, check that out and uh, get in on the debate, or if not a debate, a discussion. And uh, again, shout out to Jay Kennedy. We talked last week about um, a story that would be upcoming, which was spawned by a Twitter thread in which Ben solicited um, responses from minor league teams as to how often they are mistaken for a different organization or a different industry or a different company or something like that. And you got that story coming up soon, correct? That's right. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, I got some uh, good legwork done with it, but uh, then the winter meetings hit and, you know, had to be delayed. But uh, on Thursday... The day this podcast drops, also that day, an MILB.com story on mistaken identities throughout the minor leagues, as well as a huge blog post uh, kind of um, making sense of the Twitter thread that started it all. So uh, in the story itself, I have quotes from people who work for the Asheville Taurus, the Harrisburg Senators, and the West Virginia Power about how their team names result in uh, a lot of consumer confusion and these uh, baseball entities often getting contacted by people who do not realize they're dealing with a baseball team. So it's a fun story. Uh, it be my last uh, MILB.com feature of the year. And I think a fun, just kind of sprawling, goofy thing to close out 2017. That is going to be hilarious. The uh, The Twitter thread was fantastic. and I'm excited for the story, which you can read right now at MILB.com. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz there, and the blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. You can check out the stuff from the winter meetings and the guest posts and a whole lot more there. And, uh, yeah, like Ben said, catch the uh, the mistaken identity story on the site right now. Thanks, Ben. Hey, thank you. And I'll have one more blog post before the year is over, uh, just recapping a lot of winter meetings, odds and ends. So stay tuned for that. And uh, outside of that, uh, I guess this is our my, my final, you know, the final podcast of uh, 2017. Yeah. I yeah. So what, what, what would your takeaway be from the year? That's something Tyler and I talked about in Three Strikes, but um, I'm still single. Yeah, that would be a takeaway. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's a takeaway of, of sorts. Nothing, yeah. nothing baseball related, nothing industry related. Oh, you meant in, in my <laughs> professional life. Um, no, it doesn't have to be. You know, I did. I did ask it open endedly. Yeah, so yeah. No, that no. reflects more on me as an interviewer. That does the. Uh, that's my takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Ben. Hey, thanks, guys. Just about finished with the final live edition of the show before the show for 2017. Uh, we may have a, a best of edition for next week um, prior to the the new year, which would be all kinds of fun. But, you know, obviously the holidays are always kind of crazy. So um, depends on, on timing and all that stuff. But what do you got going on for the holidays? Um, I will be going back home to Massachusetts and then going to Connecticut <clears throat> for Christmas. It'll be my nephew Liam's first Christmas. So I'm very excited about that. Very cool. Um, Santa is getting him a – his last name is Murray, and Santa found him a Murray tractor. Nice. Uh, which, which is like infant size so that he can drive it around the, the house and oh, stuff when, when he is able. He's only five months old. So <laughs> he's not, not a driving age as of yet. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> um, so very excited for that. I also got him a uh, – it was like a – a onesie that was Jordan brand and like a hat that's Jordan brand. Okay. And then booties that are Jordan brand. So it's like the ultimate uncle move that I'm getting him his first pair of Jordans. There you go. I'm very excited for that. That isn't going to mean anything to him, but it'll be mean more to me. So One day he'll look back and he'll be very excited. Yes. Yes. When he's, uh, <laughs> when he's signing, you know, his own Jordan contract. 
for 10 years and $1 billion at that point. Yeah. There you They'll go. know where to kick back some of that money. Yeah, That's exactly. All. Then you can you can get in on that. You can take a right. bite of that apple or something like that. Right. What do you got going on? I, uh, I'm actually going to be out there. I am headed to uh, to New York on Saturday, and um, it is also my nephew's first Christmas and my niece's third Christmas, uh, fourth Christmas, because um, she is three, so she had one when she was zero. That makes sense. Um, yes. So, yeah, so I'm going to be out there for just a few days, and, um, yeah, I get to hang out with, uh, with them. It's always fun. It's way more fun seeing the holidays through – the way kids experience it rather than just being like, Oh, I'm in my early thirties and this is fine. You know, but like, it's, it's cool being, a, getting a chance to be around kids for it. Um, especially kids that like think you're awesome for getting them presents. So right. that's pretty yeah. cool. I know. Yeah. Your niece is like right in prime age. Yeah, I know. I'm very excited about that. Um, so yeah, it should be good. It should be good, man. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll have to share what we got. Yeah. Uh, when we come back. Absolutely. But as always, you know, it, I feel like this was a good 2017 for us. Um, really happy with like all the people that have come on board this year. Uh, we started getting like actually data on the amount of people who are listening, and we were kind of flabbergasted by how many of you there are and the, the amount of people who have reached out and said they enjoy listening to us each week. Um, can't stress it enough, you know, especially this time of the year when we are always reflecting. But um, how awesome it is to have you guys listening to us and sending in questions and sending us your thoughts on certain things and all that kind of stuff. It, it means a lot to us that we know you're out there um, and just letting you guys know it. As we said around Thanksgiving, uh, you know, we're grateful for you guys and grateful that you're still here with us in the off season. And as we get ready for 2018 and the season that is to come a few sh short months after that. So. I second it. I second all of that. What Sam said, um, and, uh, yeah, for, uh, for all of these episodes in 2017, we appreciate you tuning in and, uh, and all your engagement. And, uh, we will talk to you in a couple of weeks with a brand new year and a new season of baseball, just a couple months away. He's Sam Baxter. I'm Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you then. Yeah.